Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. This is Joe Rosenstein, and I am a professor of mathematics at Rutgers University and the author of Sidur 8 Ratzon and Machzor 8 Ratzon. Today we will be studying Tractate Nazir, Daf Dalad, page 4. This tractate, Masechet Nazir, deals with men and women who make a vow to abstain from wine and all grape products, to refrain from cutting their hair, and to avoid contact with all dead bodies, so, they di- so that they don't become tameh, or ritually impure. These requirements of a Nazir appear in Chapter 6 of Numbers, Bamidbar. Yesterday's daf ended with a question. Isn't the wine of Kiddush and Havdalah obligatory? Unstated is the following problem. A Nazir vows to drink no wine or anything made of grapes. So if the wine of Kiddush and Havdalah at the beginning and end of Shabbat are obligatory, then how can, take, how can a person take an oath which is contrary to the Torah? If so, the whole idea of a Nazir is contrary to the Torah. The solution of this problem is simple, so simple that it isn't stated explicitly in the text. Nowhere in the Torah is there a commandment to drink the fruit of the vine at the beginning or end of Shabbat. That practice was instituted by the rabbis, and so the possibility of becoming a Nazir, which is stated explicitly in the Torah, trumps the practice of drinking wine or grape juice for Kiddush and Havdalah on Shabbat. Do we have any examples of a Nazir in the Bible itself? The clearest example of a Nazir is Samson, whose birth was foretold by an angel who told Samson's barren mother that she would give birth to a son whom she would have to raise as a Nazir. However, we know that her son Samson was at drinking parties, and we know that he killed many people, so that he had frequent contact with the dead. Moreover, he did not take the vow of a Nazir on himself, but was committed to that life by his mother. Finally, he had enormous strength, and that strength was connected to his hair being long. For all of these reasons, Samson was not your typical Nazir. We will come back to Samson later, as well as Samuel and Absalom, each of whom had some of the characteristics of the Nazir, but were not the typical Nazir. Unfortunately, there are no examples in the Bible of a typical Nazir. Today's daf has two Mishnahs. The first Mishnah notes that a person who vows to become a Nazir like Samson 
becomes a Nazir like Samson. The second Mishnah asks, what is the difference between a Nazir like Samson and a Nazir for life? The Gemara says, wait a minute. Before asking what the difference is between a Nazir like Samson and a Nazir for life, you have to state how one becomes a Nazir for life. And it suggests that there is something missing from the first Mishnah, namely the statement, if a person vows to be a Nazir for life, he or she becomes a Nazir for life. As we noted on Daf 2, the rabbis of the Talmud did not have a problem correcting the text of the Mishnah, since they recognized that errors naturally arise when texts are recited from memory or when scribes copy texts. We sometimes seem to have unlearned that lesson. Back to our Mishnah. It distinguishes between two kinds of Nazir, a Nazir like Samson and a Nazir for life. Before continuing with the differences between these two kinds of Nazir, it is important to note that neither of these Nazirim is the Nazir described in chapter 6 of Bamidbar. A substantial portion of that chapter, verses 13 to 21, discusses the end of the Nazirut thus assuming that every Nazirut has an end, that every Nazir has a fixed term. And there is no mention in the Torah of a Nazir for life or a Nazir like Samson. We will discuss the fixed term Nazir tomorrow when we get to the next Mishnah. Today's daf, as mentioned earlier, focuses on a Mishnah that asks what are the differences between a Nazir like Samson and a Nazir for life? The Mishnah provides two answers to its question. First, it discusses the practical question of what happens when the hair of the Nazir becomes too heavy. For someone who vows to be a Nazir like Samson, there is no solution. He has to live with his heavy head of hair. However, a person who is a Nazir for life may thin out his hair with a razor, but not cut it with a scissors and bring the offerings prescribed for a fixed-term Nazir, and then resume his Nazirut. The Gemara asks, what is the scriptural basis for allowing the Nazir for life to thin his hair if it becomes burdensome? And they answer their question by pointing to Absalom, one of the sons of King David. In chapter 15 of Samuel 2, we read that after a number of years, Absalom says to David, quote, I will go now to Hebron and fulfill the vow that I vowed to Adonai. For your servant made a vow when I was in Aram, saying that if God enables me to return to Yerushalayim, then I will serve God. Unquote. And David replied, Go in peace. And Absalom went to Hebron. And in the previous chapter we learned that, quote, There was no one in Israel who was as beautiful as Absalom. He had no blemish from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. He would periodically, Miketz Yamim Le Yamim, have to cut his hair because it was so heavy. Indeed, his hair weighed 200 shekels, according to the royal standard. Unquote. Because Absalom speaks of his long-term vow to God and has long hair, 
the rabbis concluded that Absalom was an Azir for life. Since Absalom was able to trim his hair if it became burdensome, so too any Nazir for life should be able to trim his hair. However, this conclusion that Absalom was an Azir ignores the backstory. Absalom had a sister named Tamar, who was raped by Absalom's older half-brother Amnon. Two years later, Absalom created an opportunity where Amnon could be assassinated. And then, fearing David's wrath for having killed his heir apparent, Absalom fled to Aram. Three years later, Absalom is allowed to return to Jerusalem. That would have been an appropriate time to fulfill whatever vow he had made in Aram. But there is no indication that he did that. It was only many years later that he tells David of his vow and gets David's permission to go to Hebron, presumably because there is a temple there. However, he doesn't seek out the temple or fulfill his vow. Instead, he uses his opportunity of being in Hebron to declare himself king and initiate a rebellion against his, father's, against his father David. All of this is hardly Nazir-like behavior. The end of his life seems quite appropriate. As he flees on horseback from David's army, his long hair is entangled in the low-hanging branches of a tree, and he is killed by David's men. Despite his son's rebellion, David is inconsolable over the death of Absalom and cries out, Would that I had died instead of him. These dramatic events are recounted in detail in chapters 13 through 19 of Samuel 2. Returning now to the Daf, we recall that we said that the Mishnah indicated that there were two differences between a Nazir like Samson and a Nazir for life. The first difference was that a Nazir for life was permitted to trim his hair if it became burdensome, whereas a Nazir like Samson was not permitted to trim his hair. The second difference between the two is that if a Nazir for life becomes ritually defiled as a result of contact with a dead body, then that Nazir has to bring the offerings prescribed in chapter 6 of Bamidbar, whereas a Nazir like Samson does not. This conclusion is based on Samson's peculiar version of Nazirut, about which the rabbis of the Mishnah and Gemara seem to be rather skeptical. Rabbi Shimon rejects altogether the category of a Nazir like Samson. He says that if a person declares that he intends to be a Nazir like Samson, his statement has no effect. Since we are not aware that Samson ever himself pronounced a vow of a Nazir. In objection, the Gemara quotes the verse that says, Your child shall be a Nazir from the womb but then notes that Samson did not vow to be a Nazir. It was the angel who said this. Rabbi Judah does not go as far as Rabbi Shimon and agrees that a vow to be a Nazir like Samson is valid, but says that a Nazir like Samson is permitted to ritually defile himself or herself by contact with a corpse and may even do so deliberately. Why? Because that's what Samson did. 
The Gemara then asks, how do we know that Samson did that? We know that because Samson himself said, with the jawbone of an ass, I have killed a thousand men. Well, says the Gemara, perhaps Samson was very careful and killed them without touching them. But there's another quote from the book of Judges where Samson killed 30 men and took their possessions as spoils of war. Perhaps the Gemara suggests he took their clothes first and afterwards killed them. That doesn't work, the Gemara responds, because the text says first that he killed them and afterwards that he took their possessions. Perhaps the Gemara suggests he mortally wounded them, then took their possessions, leaving them to die of their wounds. Then, without generating a response to this far-fetched scenario, the Gemara says that, well, however the incident played out, our tradition is that Samson did in fact come into contact with the dead. Embedded in this discussion is an enigmatic story that is told about a young man, evidently a long-term Nazir or a Nazir for life, who appeared at the temple in about 300 before the Common Era to have his long curly locks shorn. The Kohen Gadol, the high priest, Shimon HaTzadik, who is cited in the first chapter of Pirkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, asked the young man why he decided to destroy such, be such beautiful hair. He replied that he was a shepherd and that gazing into the well, he became enamored of his image. What he actually said was, quote, my evil inclination grabbed me and tried to remove me from the world, unquote. We don't know what that means. Perhaps it means that he would now be tempted to sin. Or perhaps like Narcissus, he would be tempted to unite with his image and drown himself in the water. The young man did not succumb and berated his evil inclination. Quote, you good for nothing. Why are you so conceited in a world that is not yours, where you will eventually be food for worms? I swear that I shall shave you, agalechacha, for the sake of God, Unquote. Of course, the young man was actually speaking to himself. Instead of making him humble, his nizirut had made him conceited, so he had to end it. And he has come to the temple to request that his nazirut be terminated with the shaving hitgalachat of his hair, which had become the locus of his yetzer hara, his evil inclination. His story has a much more satisfying conclusion and a more ethically meaningful one than the story of Narcissus. The story of the young man is not enigmatic. What is enigmatic is the response of the Kohen Gadol, Shimon HaTzadik. First of all, the story begins with the statement that only one time had he eaten part of the Asham offering brought by a Nazir. Now, the Asham offering is not brought by a Nazir who completes his Nizirut, but only by a Nazir whose Nizirut is interrupted by ritual defilement. The Asham offering is brought by a person who has sinned unintentionally. We recognize the word Asham from the list of sins that we recite on Yom Kippur that begins with the word Ashamnu. We have sinned unintentionally. Once the Nazir brought the Asham offering, that person's Nazirut would begin again, but it would have to restart at day one. Apparently, Shimon Hatzadikah did not trust Nazirim whose Nazirut was interrupted. 
Perhaps he thought that they should have been more careful and should have avoided ritual defilement. Perhaps he did not trust that they would do better the second time around. In any case, it is clear that he did not have a positive feeling about Nazirim, particularly about those who didn't complete their Nazirut. After making this initial statement that only one time had he eaten part of the Asham offering brought by Nazir, Shimon HaTzadik tells the story of this one exception, our young man who was enamored of his image and decided to cut his hair. Then he continues, Then I rose and kissed him on the head and said, Would that there be many Nazirim in Israel like you, who consecrate themselves unto God as you have. Unquote. Shimon HaTzadik apparently felt that this young man was consecrating himself to God, but that other Nazirim apparently took the vows for ulterior motives. But Shimon HaTzadik ignores the fact that by ending his Nazirut, the young man was breaking his vow to be a Nazir for life, and that by allowing him to be freed of his vow, Shimon HaTzadik was perhaps setting a bad precedent. I remain puzzled by this story and wonder whether it might actually have been written in the later era. And that is where we end today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.